Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. This hour on Forum, San Francisco Mayor London Breed is here to take your questions. It's been nearly a year since she ordered a citywide shutdown to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Since then, San Francisco has had one of the nation's lowest COVID-19 case rates among the nation's largest cities. But the pandemic has taken a huge toll on small businesses, renters, school kids, and especially people of color. We'll talk with Mayor Breed about all that, plus the rise in violence, including hate crimes directed at Asian Americans, and her push to reopen public schools. That's all ahead on Forum, right after the news. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. Here this week as KQED begins the search to find a permanent host for the 9 o'clock hour after Michael Krasny's retirement. You may know Mina Kim has been named host of the statewide 10 to 11 a.m. hour. And until we find a permanent new host for the 9 o'clock hour, we'll be bringing you different voices and perspectives. And right now, we get the perspective of San Francisco's Mayor London Breed. She joins us for the hour to talk about what else? The city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and a whole lot more. Mayor Breed, hello, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Scott. Thank you for having me. Well, I remember way back a year ago almost when you and the health department first used the phrase social distancing. And I thought, what the hell is that? And now we all know all too well what that is. And I'm just wondering, in those early days, when so little was really known about this, uh, were you more worried about doing too much or too little to shut things down? Well, first of all, social distancing. Didn't you see the movie Contagion, Scott? You know, I didn't. Uh, I did not. <laughs> um, you know, we it, it was very difficult in the beginning because uh, there were things that we knew, but there were also a lot that we did not know, especially about the spread and how this virus um uh, moved around. And so uh, what we didn't know is what was happening in Wuhan, what seemed to be happening or beginning to happen in other parts. Uh, and based on data, based on science, uh, we followed, you know, that information and in making some very difficult decisions. And before I declared a state of emergency one year ago today, um, we didn't have any cases in San Francisco. And I know most people thought, well, why would we do that? And we knew that just like an earthquake, it's not a matter of if it's gonna happen, it's a matter of when. And it was really important to me that people understood that this was coming to San Francisco and we needed to be ready. Did you ever imagine the city would still be mostly shut down or large, you know, by and large shut down a year later? No way. I thought, well, let's, you know, in the beginning, I thought, okay, emergency, um, shut down, we're going to be in this maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, but there is, n there is no way that I thought 
that we would be in this situation a year later. It's 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 unbelievable. Well, and San Francisco has done quite well, and a lot of that is due to your leadership on this. Uh, the city uh, has reported the lowest uh, case and positive test rates of all nine Bay Area counties. I think we're number one, meaning the lowest in terms of case rate among the 20 largest cities. But this week, uh, San Francisco was not one of the two counties that was promoted into that less restrictive red tier. And the, and the reason, I believe, was that the city hasn't quite done as good a job as necessary on equity issues. T- tell us about that. Why has the city fallen short there? Well, just to be clear, Scott, we we do still have the lowest death rate in the country of any major city. We have the lowest case rate, as you said, um, but we're still the second densest city in the country. And trying to get uh, things on track can be quite difficult. From day one, when we opened our emergency response center uh, at Moscone, we embedded an equity team in how we deliver services, how we provide support, how we make people aware of what's going on. And a lot of our aggressive efforts have helped us develop the data that we have that shows disproportionately who's impacted by the virus and um, what neighborhoods are disproportionately impacted, which is why our vaccine efforts have been focused on the Southeast sector in the mission and in places where there are higher rates of COVID-19. So I think uh, it's going to continue, of course, to be a challenge, but we're headed in a good direction. And in fact, next week, we anticipate that San Francisco will be in the red, uh, will begin our reopening process, but it does require that we continue to social distance, wear our mask, and follow the health orders. Talking with San Francisco Mayor London Breed for the hour, and I'm going to give you the phone number now. I suspect a lot of our listeners want to talk with her uh, or leave a comment uh, on our Twitter and Facebook page. You can do that, too. It's uh, at KQED Forum, and the phone number is 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786, or you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. You mentioned that the city, of course, is quite dense, and that is part of the reason you have a lot of uh, mixed-generation households and a lot of frontline workers, grocery workers, and so on, uh, who are at higher risk of exposure. Um, I live in the Mission District, and I and I know that uh, there have been a number of pop-up testing sites for, for many months now, which is which is great. Are there, you mentioned particular efforts to get the vaccine into those neighborhoods, though. How is that working? Well, it's it's working great. Um, we opened a pop-up uh, vaccination site in the Mission. We also uh, have drop-in at uh, SF General. Uh, we also see higher rates in the Bayview-Hunters Point, and so we have a, a site there for drop-in for anyone that fits into uh, the qualification 1A, 1B, and 65 and older. You live in the zip code, um, and we've been going door-to-door. So um, when we look at the data, the Department of Public Health published the data, it shows that we are, um, as it relates to the Department of Public Health specific vaccinations, um, when you look at the population, we are doing more vaccinations for all the particular populations that have been disproportionately impacted. So, um, so far we're doing okay. And the biggest issue that we have is really the supply and 
uh, we're really excited about as soon as we get the supply, what this will mean for San Francisco and our reopening efforts. Well, I want to ask you about that because I know that uh, several weeks ago you opened the Moscone Center as one of the mass vaccination sites and Mayor or Governor Newsom came by and, and then two days later uh, it had to be shut down for lack of a vac- for of lack of vaccines. And I know a lot of people find that sort of frustrating. And I just I wonder, why did you feel you had to shut it down just two days after you did that tour with the governor? Was it that the, the, the supply chain from the federal government, was that unreliable or were they not clear in how much you'd be getting? Here's the thing, Scott. What we decided to do um, early on, um, we had to start preparing for these large vaccination and small vaccination sites and communities um, back last year in August when we realized that it was a possibility and it required these refrigeration systems and, and all of these things that we needed to do. And we wanted to make sure that we have the capacity in San Francisco to do at least 10,000 a day. The fact is Moscone Center has been extremely successful and have been moving at a more rapid pace um, than anticipated. That site alone can do 10,000 vaccines a day. And two weeks ago, the city had done about 7,500 vaccines in one particular day. So our goal is as soon as we get the vaccines, as soon as we make the appointments, we want to get people in, we want to get them vaccinated, and we also set up an appointment for their second dose. So we have to prepare for the future. And the biggest challenge is the vaccine supply. But what we're, we have to keep doing, and I know that might be frustrating for folks, but what we have to keep doing is as soon as we're able to set it up and get people an appointment and get them in, that's what we're going to do. And what that means is when we run out, we, we, we won't be able to provide any appointments. But in most cases, we still will have appointments for those second doses for people who had already made the appointment. So we're, we're planning ahead. I know it's complicated. I know it's frustrating. But as soon as the supply comes in, we'll definitely be at a better place. I think at some point you said the goal was to have everyone who lives in the city vaccinated by the end of June. Are we on track to meet that? Well, right now we are not because of supply, but um, the good news is that uh, the president has invoked the Defense Production Act and hopefully by the spring we'll have ample supply, which means that instead of our goal of 10,000 vaccines per day, the likelihood that we'll be able to do more um, will really help us uh, try to aggressively push towards that goal. I want to ask you about schools because obviously many parents and kids and teachers, so many people are touched by the schools in one way or another. And a few weeks ago, you had a rather tearful press conference practically begging the school district in San Francisco along with the union to resolve their differences, get back to in-school learning. I know they've come to some kind of an agreement, but what's been the fundamental problem? Why has it been so hard to get the schools back open here where the caseload is relatively low compared to places like Atlanta and Houston where the schools have been open for quite a while now? You know, Scott, it is very... um challenging and and very complex. Um, I I just want to be clear that I know that there are uh, some of our teachers who are concerned. Um, They may have underlying health conditions. They may be helping um, or have a parent or someone at home who may have underlying health conditions. So there are some legitimate concerns um, about transmission and and they want to make sure that they're vaccinated, that the schools are safe. And so I think that there are legitimate concerns there. There are other uh, teachers who who are ready to go back in the classroom. 
Um, right now, social distance, uh, the distance learning um, that's happening with kids is just, you know, I know teachers are trying to keep their attention and, and, and focus on educating our students, but there, there are large numbers of students who aren't even tuning in. Um, and, and so we, we know from the data, we know from the Department of Public Health here in San Francisco, which you and I both know, because we've had to shut so many things down in the city, they have been extremely conservative. So when they said last year that we could start to reopen schools in the fall, I supported that. And of course, in a responsible way. And then of course, making sure that we put the safeguards into our schools so that they are ready to open. And right now, private and parochial schools, there's about 114 private and parochial schools that are open with over 15,000 students uh, with no major outbreaks. We've been operating um, hubs all across the city with over 2,000 students with Rec and Park staff and other city disaster service workers. Uh, we, we know from the data that um, you know, we're not saying that kids don't transmit the virus, but we know the likelihood is less likely. And so our Department of Public Health has said that it is okay with certain safeguards to reopen the schools. They have already evaluated six elementary schools. And I think that the biggest challenge we have here now is the school district and the union coming to some sort of agreement um, about what what when they're willing to come back based on certain things so first of all it's if we're in the red tier um, they want to be fully vaccinated which means the first and second dose and two weeks later so that's at least a six-week process um, before they would even go back into the classroom and we still don't know what that would look like even after then um, Mayor, Mayor I have to I have to stop you I, I apologize we're coming up to a break we can continue on that thought but I want to give out the number again it's 866-733-6786 if you'd like to join our conversation with San Francisco Mayor London Breed we're going to take a very short break and we will be right back Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. And again, the number to call if you want to join us, it's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email if you prefer, forum at kqed.org. And Mayor, again, I apologize for interrupting you as we went into the break. I think you were talking about the criteria for reopening the schools. Yeah, well, from my understanding, um, the teachers are interested in um, being fully vaccinated. Um, if we're in the red tier, which we expect to be next week, we've already started um, uh, vaccinating teachers. They're eligible, effective yesterday. Um, and so we still don't know a date for certain, even with this vaccination process, as to when that would happen. But they uh, said they would go back if they're fully vaccinated in the red and if they're if we're in the orange that they would go back regardless of the vaccine 
And under our Department of Public Health guidelines, um, the vaccine is not necessarily to begin the process of reopening. Well, let me ask you a question about that, because no one asked muni drivers, for example, if they wanted to go back to work months and months like a year ago. Now, nobody really asked the cops and the firefighters or grocery store workers. So why do teachers get to decide that when so many other professions, public workers don't? Well, I, I am not uh, directly responsible for uh, the school district. There's an elected school board and a superintendent, and, and they negotiate with the, the union. Um, so, unfortunately, I, I don't have the answer to that question. You must have some speculation. <laughs> of course I have some speculation, but for the sake of let us all get along, I mean, I... I Look, you know, I, I have been really fortunate growing up in San Francisco, attending public schools, having amazing teachers who um, really uh, were incredible in helping me, um, even though I was a very challenging child to deal with. <laughs> um, so I know that this is not easy for them either. But um, my hope uh, is that we can get our kids back in school. Um, I gave the school district $15 million last year. I put a ballot measure, which... Uh, the voters passed, giving teachers raises. Um, we put the full force and support of our Department of Public Health, our Department of Children, Youth and Families. We are here for them. Uh, we are here for them to help to reopen these schools safely. Uh, so we're doing everything from a city perspective that we can. Um, and sadly, uh, uh, it's it's not resulted in in what we would like to see for for our kids and our families. All right. Well, let's go to the phones again. It's 866-733-6786. And Mahir in San Francisco, you're first. Welcome. Hi. Uh, you know, I've been a public school parent for about 12 years, and I'm a massive believer in public education. I think San Francisco public school teachers are phenomenal, the best ever. However, I'm absolutely aghast at the San Francisco Board of Education, you know, fueling hate and racism, no focus on reopening schools, abusing our kids and parents on social media. I mean, it seems like Donald Trump left us with this ugly, hateful package, you know, in the form of the Board of Education. How can we get order, you know, true equity collaboration, which I think this Board of Education is never going to be able to accomplish? Mayor, I know uh, you're, you're very aware that there's a group of parents uh, who have formed a political action committee. They're thinking of trying to recall some of the board members, maybe change the way school board members are appointed, maybe have the mayor uh, appoint some of those, if not all of them. Would you be up for that? Well, I, I will tell you that I am thoroughly disappointed um, in what I see happening um, with, with the school board here in San Francisco. Um, some of them um, have not even, they didn't grow up here, they didn't go to school here, um, and they may not even have children in the school district. And, and, and I've seen this, uh, the Board of Education uses a stepping stone for people to run for the Board of Supervisors in the city. And I think what's important to me is that kids get the support that they need and that has to be the priority and that has not uh, doesn't appear to be the case um so I, I think that there needs to be some change what that change is is yet to be determined i know that folks who um who don't even have kids in the school district are paying very close attention to the fact that the leaders of our school district are not doing um they're not up for the task of doing what's necessary to get our kids back in school. So I think there are gonna be some changes and I understand that parents are outraged, but uh, you know, it's important and, and I wanna really appreciate the parents who are 
um, stepping up and they are still being respectful and trying to work with the school district. And, and the uh, caller was right. It's, it's some of the things that you hear from, from school board members can be really divisive. And, and we don't have the time for that. If, if they're up to the task, do the job. If they can't do the job, they should step aside. Would you be open to having the power uh, as mayor to appoint some of the school board? What criteria, I, what criteria would you use? I, I, think, I think I would be open to anything that's going to get our kids back into school. Um, so for me, I would like uh, the ability to um, have a collaborative relationship with the school board um, that is focused on actual results um, and, and trying to move our city forward and, and take care of our kids first and foremost. So uh, it's complicated. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there could be a lot of options on the table, I'm sure, but uh, I'm not certain as to what the best option is at this time. All right, Mahir, thank you very much for the question. Let's go now to Ross in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, hi, Mr. Shaver. Hi, hi, Mayor Breed. Um, Hello. I just wanted to have. Hi, just wanted to ask about what what you plan to do about the crime in San Francisco. Um, recently, I've seen. Myself, just an uptick in our neighborhood. We live in Nopa, and uh, I was a witness to a carjacking, and it's it's getting a little concerning. So I just want to know what what we plan to do in the city to address this. Ross, thanks for the question. And yes, Mayor, I know you and the police chief and the DA have held some uh, press conferences. I believe the sheriff may have participated. Uh, you know, what do you what do you see happening right now? So I, what I see happening is sadly. Um, burglaries have gone up considerably. We see a lot of the car break-ins and the carjackings and, um, you know, you see the videos sometimes. Things seem to be really out of control. And that's why it's important in San Francisco that our, pu our uh, public safety officials are united in our response. And so yesterday, um, I put out a, a press release that outlined some of the things that we're going to do to address the gun violence and the homicides, particularly in the southeast sector of our city. Um, what we're going to do around the repeat offenders who are arrested time and time again and released and how we need to make sure that they are held accountable. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, that has been a real challenge. Um, and we also have to look at you know, what's happening with the burglaries and the particular neighborhoods and the uptick and invest more resources into uh, being out and about and present. And so that's why I made it clear that there is no way, uh, even though there were talks of layoffs from the police department, there's no way that uh, we're going to be laying off any police officers uh, because we need a, a police presence. Uh, but we also have to deal with the systemic issues that happen in various communities where people actually end up down this path in the first place. Uh, so that is really why the investments in our disadvantaged communities are so important. But once those lines are crossed, once people commit those crimes, there has to be accountability. The police have done an amazing job in this city of making the arrest. So now the DA has to prosecute people. And what that could mean is jail time. What that could mean is uh, mental health support. It could mean drug treatment. There are a lot of things that uh, folks can get in terms of health and services because what we don't want to do is have someone released, committing the same crimes, 
wreaking havoc all over our city again and not be rehabilitated in some way. So uh, we plan to be more aggressive, more collaborative uh, to make significant changes in this city. And, and, and as, after we start holding people accountable, I think we'll see a, a significant change. As you know, the DA, Chase Boudin, not your choice to be DA, but he ran on a platform of uh, criminal justice reform, rehabilitation. Do you feel that he is singing from the same hymnal on this? I mean, do you feel like he's on the same page with you? Um, it's yet to be determined, but we are trying to work together because regardless of who I supported or not, he's the DA and I care about this city and I care about the safety of the people of the city. So I am working with the person that's uh, available to work with. Um, we're trying to work together on, on solutions to these, these problems, um, because, uh, they're important and, you know, I don't want San Francisco to have this reputation of being a place where you can come and commit a crime and get away with it. We, 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 we see that happening every single day, and we all have to work together to make it so. Here's a comment from Charles who says, I'm thoroughly disgusted by current conditions in the city. Masses of homeless roam downtown. The streets and roads are filled with litter and criminals have become increasingly brazen. Witness the smash and grab attacks in Golden Gate Park. In short, SF seems to be spiraling out of control. We pay enough in taxes. Why is progress so elusive? Um, that is, you ran, of course, uh, for mayor, uh, talking about the homeless problem. That was going to, of course, this was all before the pandemic, but the pandemic has no doubt made things worse. But what is the city doing to address this, and how has the pandemic affected that? Well, the pandemic has really put, um, put a lot of the plans that I had on hold. Um, we have still been moving forward with building our shelter beds. We still have plans to house at least 6,000 people and to get them uh, supportive services over the next couple of years. Um, we still have plans to make sure that we make the arrest for people who are in the Tenderloin and UN Plaza and other places that are you know, dealing drugs and, and, and creating a lot of the problems that we know exist. Um, our nonprofit agencies that we usually employ to help us uh, with cleaning the streets, um, there have been some some challenges there because of COVID, but we're still committed to going out there and 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 making sure that we're doing everything uh, to clean uh, San Francisco and certain neighborhoods. I've been out on the streets myself, um, making those phone calls, uh, uh, checking in with folks and, and making sure that we are doing what we can. Um, this pandemic, I think, has, has really hit us hard. Um, drug use is, is, is spiraled out of control, especially fentanyl and what it's been doing uh, to wreak havoc on our communities. And um, the biggest piece we have uh, that we need to get under control uh, is really accountability. And, and that's really what I'm focused on so that we are able um, to make sure that people don't feel like they can get on the bar and, and, and come over to San Francisco from, you know, other places and, and deal drugs or uh, commit crimes or do some of the things that uh, make people feel unsafe here. We definitely have a lot of work to do. 
um, I understand and, and see what the person who's asking the question is seeing. And we are working hard every single day to reverse that. Earlier this week, we had U.S. Attorney Dave Anderson on the program. And he, of course, collaborated with the SFPD to do massive uh, investigations and takedowns of some alleged crime and drug dealing uh, groups uh, that were bringing drugs into the Tenderloin. Did you support that kind of action with the U.S. Attorney? I, I definitely supported that action. And um, I am, again, here to do whatever we can to hold people accountable for the crimes they commit in this city. I want to ask you a question about, uh, you mentioned earlier that the because of the pandemic and the revenues prob- revenue problems in the city, uh, that there is talk of laying off cops, which you said will not happen. But Earlier, uh, sh- you know, shortly after the George Floyd death in uh, Minneapolis, uh, there were calls to defund the police. And San Francisco, I know you never used that phrase, but the spirit of that came about with uh, a decision to uh, transfer some money away from the police department, I believe $125 million uh, or um, something like that, 120 I think it was. Uh, how, what is the result of that? I know there were, there were a lot of investigations and hearings and public meetings to decide how to spend that money. Um, any decisions on that? Well, there have been some decisions, and today I'm actually making an announcement about some of those initiatives. We didn't just want to say what we were going to do as a city. It was important that we took the uh, uh the conversation to the community and we got feedback on what was most important. I didn't want to just do the same thing because I want to change the outcome of African-Americans in the city who are disproportionately impacted in the criminal justice system, disproportionately impacted in homelessness and a number of other disparities, even in our public school system. And I wanted to make sure that these investments were going to make a difference. So today, um, I'll be making an announcement about some of those investments, will, which will focus uh, primarily on youth development and education, on art and culture, on accountability and systems changes so that the businesses and the nonprofit agencies have the capacity and the ability to manage and oversee the programs that they're supported to, to support, that they are funded to support. Um, city employment pipelines, making sure that you know folks have an access to to work in San Francisco as city employees, workforce training, uh, guaranteed income, uh, culturally affirming spaces, business and entrepreneur support, health and well-being, home ownership opportunities. So this is what we got from the community, and these are the investments that we want to make now into the community, be- and we want to measure those investments. Uh, to see if the outcomes of African-Americans change as a result of these types of investments. So um, that information will be coming out today. uh, And I'm really excited and grateful to so many stakeholders throughout San Francisco, uh, primarily members of the African-American community, who provided this roadmap for this plan. You know, when this was announced a few months ago, and as I said, it was on the heels of uh, George Floyd's death, there was so much... uh, outrage about what had happened and more generally uh, what has been happening across the country in terms of uh, use of force by police, deadly force. And there were marches and they were very multiracial. And there was a sense that, you know, something was really going to change fundamentally. Do you feel like that energy dissipated or is it still there? Well, I I have I do feel like it has uh, dissipated. But I want to be clear, Scott, from the from the very first day that I became an elected official, 
this has been important to me. It's been important to me because I grew up in poverty. I've had to live in poverty, you know, over 20 years of my life. And the frustration that came from living like that and then seeing so many of my friends who have been killed or in jail or on drugs, that is my motivation. So I don't necessarily need, you know, need the moment. I'd like to see the momentum continue, but regardless of the momentum here in San Francisco, equity and focusing on the disparities in this community will continue to be front and center in my administration. Because just imagine if we can change the outcome of African-Americans in San Francisco, what an incredible thriving city we truly will be. We're coming up on a break, but uh, you know there are people in the Asian American community too who feel obviously very victimized by some uh, crime recently. Uh, are there additional resources that should go into that community as well? Oh, definitely. And number one, we're inc increasing the police presence in those communities. Number two, we are bringing in our street violence intervention program. And I could tell you more about that when we come back from the break. But these are young men who grew up in the different neighborhoods in San Francisco. They are the ones who typically respond to homicides when they occur, shootings when they occur in the community to prevent retaliation and to address a number of issues. And we are expanding that program so that they are like the guardian angels of the communities. Because I want to be clear, the black community in this city, we do not support attacks on seniors. We do not support the attacks on what we're seeing out there in the streets with a lot of our Asian American elderly uh, people. And we are gonna take responsibility for protecting this community. And through our street violence intervention program, we hope that it will make a difference. They've been out there uh, starting on Lunar New Year, and I think it's been making a real difference. All right. San Francisco Mayor London Breed will be with us for the rest of the hour. You can get in touch with us at 866-733-6786 or on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour, and we'll return after a very short break. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum, and we continue our conversation with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. And let's go to the phones and Tondra in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Good morning, London. Good morning, everybody. I just wanted to give London her flowers. Um, I know we have many problems here in San Francisco. Oh, of course. I know we have many problems here in San Francisco, but um, she can't do it alone, and that's when it takes a village. I want to um, applaud her for uh, representing every district here in San Francisco. I am in District 10, and um, I applaud her for standing up the issues of um, what I call elephants in the room. A lot of people address the issues that she does, and I also want her um, to know that um, at least I appreciate her being able to stick up for everybody who's either black, white, LGBT community, homeless, small business, mentally ill immigrants, and I want to applaud her for that. 
And um, I just wanted to let her know that she's doing an awesome job here in San Francisco. And um, just wanting to let her know that wherever she is, I am in the background rooting for her. All right, Tondra, <laughs> thanks so much. I'm sure the mayor appreciates you, that. Very much. Thank you. You know, I want to, she used the phrase elephants in the room. And I, I wonder, I was listening actually yesterday to a podcast with uh, Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. And they were talking about uh, how they both felt like or in, uh, outsiders in, throughout a lot of their lives. And I wonder, you know, you must find yourself, maybe not so much now, but certainly at the beginning of your mayoralty, in rooms where you are the only African-American woman, let alone the mayor. And I'm wondering what difference you think that's made? Well, I think it does make a difference um, because uh, it's not just that I'm an African-American woman. I bring that experience to the table. And part of the, the issues, as I mentioned before, around the disparities that exist, not just in San Francisco with the African-American community, uh, but uh, all over the country and our need to just confront it and to talk about it. And that's why when this movement hit last year um, and, and, and people started to talk about it and confront it and say, yeah, this, this, this is real, like folks who may not have paid attention to it in the past. They were like, yeah, this thing is real. We need to do something about it. Well, I'm doing something about it. And I'm doing something about it by making the investments and calling it out and talking about it. And I'm hopeful that people will be open to supporting it because what I care about more than anything is to see real change um, and real change in the African-American community. That doesn't mean just because uh, you are a part of a community and you are trying to push to change the disparities in the community. Um, as a mayor, I still, of course, care about this city as a whole. And my goal is to protect all of its citizens and to provide support for all of its citizens. But when you have one group of citizens that are not doing as well as others, then I also have a responsibility to make sure that when I'm in those rooms, when I'm talking to folks and I'm calling it out, I'm calling it out as it is. And so, yes, it's challenging, but I'm tough and I can handle it. <laughs> okay. Tondra, thanks very much for the call. And let's go back to San Francisco or stay in San Francisco with Jennifer. Welcome. You're next. Hey, London. Hey, Mayor London Breed. This is Jennifer. Um, I am a third generation San Franciscan. I'm a, a blue collar worker here in San Francisco. Um, and my daughter, we made a decision um, early on to send her to a progressive school uh, based on its values, um, and we worked really hard to allow her to go to that school. Um, it's a sacrifice for our family. Two weeks ago, I believe it was two weeks ago, uh, one of the students in sixth grade, a 12-year-old student, was riding his skateboard in San Francisco in the Bayview in his neighbor family neighborhood, and he was killed by a car. Um, this, I live in uh, Telegraph Hill neighborhood in a small apartment. Um, this is particularly disturbing for me because I, I volunteer. I volunteered um, and worked the pole booth out in the Excelsior neighborhood. I go out to Bayview and I do a lot of volunteer work. But my daughter does go to school in Presidio Heights. The streets in the Presidio Heights and some of the more affluent neighborhoods that I drive through to get to school are impeccable. The traffic signage the crosswalks, the, the streets themselves. They're so well cared for. They're always being cared for. And if you drive out to Excelsior and Bayview, those streets may or may not have stop signs um, or the right kind of safety measures. And I'm just, this for me was an example of the massive disparities. And, 
And I see right now, I'm looking at street workers working on streets to make them smoother here, kind of on the north part of town. But in Bayview and some of these, you know, lower income areas, it's just not happening, period. Mm, And um, at the loss of a life, I'm just wondering if you can speak to this. Jennifer, thanks for the question. Yeah, Mayor. Thank you, Jennifer, uh, for the question. And yeah, it it is, um, that was one of the most heartbreaking moments that that I've experienced I I was I had a chance to talk to the parents and um, I still get emotional thinking about um, this 12 year old kid and and one of the first things um, that I made clear to my team is you know to go out assess this area and figure out what can we have done to have made this area safer um, and, and so we are, we are working on that now. And we all, you're, you're right in terms of um, the disparities that exist in certain areas. I was in the Bayview um, just the other day and some of the industrial roads where all the trucks kind of pass through on Gerald and other places like that. Those roads, uh, you know, are, are, are not in the best shape of repair. So uh, we have work to do. Um, the voters have been very generous in providing us support to do uh, these projects. And so we need to uh, turn our attention on places, especially where there are kids, um, speed bumps and and other things that we can put into place to make sure that people understand and slow down in, in certain areas uh, where they're driving uh, to try and com- keep our community safe. So that is definitely something um, that we talked about in our, our public safety plans, uh, which include uh, making changes to our streets in, in neighborhoods like the Bayview Hunters Point. To Jennifer's question, though, and her point about how some neighborhoods just seem to be in so much better shape in terms of the infrastructure than others. I mean, we do have district elections. So each part of the city has its own supervisor. Uh, do you feel like uh, every supervisor or most supervisors have the right priorities for the people who live in their districts? Um, it's, it's hard to say, but, um, I, I do think that, um, for me, it's important that, uh, we make investments, um, from an equitable level in, in all districts and in, in certain neighborhoods, I know that, uh, with places that have community benefits districts and, and other private resources that they come together to do underwiring of their utilities and, a number of things they have the resources to do it and some communities don't so um i I do think it's important when when i look at the decisions that get made around grants around projects that we invest in i'm looking at geographically are we taking care of the southeast sector of san francisco Um, and so we've had to make some changes and divert some resources And, and i'll give you a perfect example clean power sf was what i pushed for when i was on the board of supervisors and we finally made it a reality in san francisco we know the bayview hunters point has been disproportionately impacted as it relates to issues um around environmental uh 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 challenges and so i wanted to go to the bayview first to start the program not you know uh, any other neighborhood, the Bayview Hunters Point deserved to be the first rollout of Clean Power SF, and that's exactly what we did in the city. So taking those kinds of deliberate approaches at making changes is is what we're going to have to do. And, and it's hard because we're, we're trying to change how things have always been done to something that has been somewhat kind of uh, absent. Uh, and, and, and we're working hard on that every single day. 
Of course, some of these uh, street issues that we've talked about, whether it's homelessness, encampments, uh, those kinds of things, uh, have been handled in the past by the Department of Public Works. Uh, Mohamed Nuru resigned. Uh, there were there is an ongoing investigation of sort of pay to play uh, culture in 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 that department and DBI, the Department of Building Inspection. What effect? There are several department heads who left. I don't think there's a maybe I could be wrong, but there there may be a a new director of deep, uh, Department of Public Works. But what impact has that investigation and the loss of some key people as department heads and that cloud of questioning uh, whether or not it's a level playing field for everybody? What impact has that had on, on your administration and, more importantly, on the people of San Francisco? Well, I will say that it's it's been really tough on, um, on our city because um, regardless of uh, the accusations, uh, there were three... African-American um, public servants who worked really hard for the city for many, many years. Um, and uh, that that was a big loss. Um, they um, and, and now what we what we have to do is we have a, a responsibility to not only make sure that those jobs continue, that we continue to do that work, um, but that we restore public trust because of the accusations that have been uh, uh, put out there. So that's going to be an ongoing process. You know, once trust has been been broken, it takes time to rebuild. And what I am trying to do by putting um, people like uh, uh, Carmen Chu into place to uh, be the city administrator and and, and others um, has everything to do with trying to restore the public trust. Um, from the top down um, to make sure that we carry on with the city's business uh, because people are counting on us. Folks are struggling. People lost their jobs. People closed their businesses permanently. We have homeless challenges. Uh, we need to keep the streets clean. There's a lot to do. And so our focus has to be on putting the right people in those positions and rebuilding public trust by the actions, by the changes that they see in their daily lives. Here's a question or a comment from a listener who writes, with the recent indictments of top city officials, what structural changes do you recommend for preventing this from happening again, especially at the Department of Building Inspection, DBI, where so many of these pay-to-play problems have existed for many, many years? Yeah, and, and right now we have an acting director in that department who is working very closely with our city attorney's office um, to clean up what was a uh, hot mess. Um, and and there are a lot of, and I want to be clear, um, there are some challenges with this department, but there are a lot of incredible public servants there who just want to do their jobs. And uh, the person that I have now, uh, who's the acting director, who's cleaning up the mess, who's uh, redoing the systems and, and setting it up to make it user-friendly and easy for people, um, and the safeguards that we put into place because we had the city attorney come in and investigate, uh, make recommendations for system changes to avoid these kinds of problems, making sure we have the right checks and balances and who's signing off on what, um, and making the process work better for the people who rely on this department. Um, we've already implemented a number of things. So we anticipate that all of this work uh, that we're doing by the spring there will be a noticeable change for people who use this particular department 
Um, and, um, you know, it, it will be a lot better and there'll be checks and balances in place that will help to prevent some of the issues that happened before. Lots of listener comments here. Susie asks, any anticipated opening of library facilities where uh, you can go inside? It's a vital resource that doesn't seem to get top priority. Um, thanks for asking. I'm not certain where libraries are, but I'm, I'm happy to, you know, if you send me an email at mayorlondonbreed at sfgov.org. Um, I am happy to get back to you. I agree. Um, we got to get these libraries open. And in fact, I'm a big fan of our public libraries. I'm a library card holder. I download the books and I download <laughs> the audio books. I'm on the wait list for a few books. Yeah. What are you listening um, to? What, you, what books are you reading or listening right to? Right now I'm listening to Alicia Garza. Mm -hmm. uh, she's the founder Black Lives of Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, she wrote a book and um, it's called The Purpose of Power. And it's 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 been really good. I'm also listening to White Frailty, mm. uh, Robin D'Angelo. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm 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 double duty right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, here's another question from a listener. It comes back to the schools. I'm a public school parent. I'd like to know the logic around opening indoor dining, which raises COVID rates and makes it harder to open schools for in-person instruction. That's kind of a you know a balancing act, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think what, what I try to do in, in this role is I trust the Department of Public Health, right? I, I trust their, their judgment and they are looking at the data. And what they're saying is, you know, if we get to red, we can open indoor dining for a maximum of four people from the same household um, at no more than 25% indoors for the restaurant. Um, so what they're, they, they are, um, they are providing this guidance because uh, they believe that uh, we can do it. And they've already said that we can reopen schools. We can reopen schools now. We have private uh, and parochial high schools and, and middle schools and elementary schools open right now. So we can open schools, um, but you know that's a whole nother issue that we discussed earlier. Uh, and and we're just trying to gradually reopen. We're we're going to do more than just um, give people warnings. Like we 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 if we see something, we're going to have to take take action um, because we don't want the virus to continue to spread. But we we got to start reopening. When you look at downtown, I mean the uh, gosh, it's like a ghost town in so many parts. Our our own offices on Beale Street have been closed by and large uh, since March. Uh, a lot of uh, the high vacancy rates. Is this a time, do you think, to reimagine downtown and all those high rise buildings, or do we just want to get things back to the way they were before the pandemic? Well, let me just say, before the pandemic, we were uh, San Francisco was crowded. Uh, rent prices were skyrocketing. Uh, office space was in high demand. Uh, developers were fighting over the few square feet that we had available every year, whereas before everyone could get what they needed in terms of developing office space. And now we're at a different place, right? Um, more people are going to work from home, but eventually people are going to want to come back to a city like San Francisco. People are going to eventually want to be in the office with one another. They may not work five days a week in the office, but uh, what happens, the creativity, the interaction, the engagement, all of that is going to, I believe, um, uh, companies are going to want that for their employees. So I think, 
it's not going to happen right away, but people will start to go back to the offices. They'll go, start to go back to uh, coming back here to go to shows and our restaurants and our nightlife, our entertainment. Uh, it's it's going to take some time, but I, I think um, we'll come back. And yeah, this is an opportunity to look at um, you know how we share spaces here in San Francisco, how we uh, work together. Um, how we uh, loosen up some of our restrictions as to what spaces can be used for, um, in particular, our mall space um, with the vacancy rates, our, our commercial corridors where there's limits to what a particular storefront can be used for. How do we make it easier? Uh, Proposition H would support small businesses. Um, there was a business that was a, a nail salon uh, that had trouble and couldn't open uh, for some time, they wanted to pivot to an ice cream shop and a permit usually would have taken about anywhere between nine months and a year. They were able to get it and move forward in that direction within one day because of Proposition H. So we're going to have to do a lot of that. We're going to have to make a lot of changes in order to get San Francisco, um, you know, get our economy going again. And, and that's going to take flexibility and creativity. All right, I'll leave you with this comment from a listener, Joan, who writes, I've been so impressed with how the mayor has been handling COVID since the beginning. This is a most difficult public health problem to manage, to say the least. But San Francisco has always found a way to effectively face major health problems. They did it with AIDS, and the mayor is leading the way to do it again with COVID. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us this hour. Uh, very much appreciate your leadership and uh, keeping us safe. That's the main thing and getting the economy open and schools as well. So thank you for all that. Thank you so much, Scott. And thank you to all the listeners for all the love and the support. Let's continue to hang in there. Let's understand we're all in this together. It's a struggle. And let's just continue to smile at people and send some love so that we can get out of this pandemic intact and make our city a better place for all of us. All right, Mayor, thank you so much. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Lauberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Susan Britton, Mandy Wynn. Raquel Maria Dillon, Caroline Smith, and Grace Wan, our senior editors, Dan Zoll. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.